I learned from a bad trip I had, honestly, one of the few times I've had like a quote unquote bad trip. If I, if I dose mushrooms, I won't dose anymore. I just, I ride out whatever I took. And that night my husband was very um, persistent on eating more. It got me into this like hole within myself. And I was in my room by myself. I was hearing, I, I had my first like auditory like hallucination. And I thought there was like a monster in the room. And uh, I did some like self-reflecting and uh, I was the monster in the room. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. In this episode, I talk to poet, writer, and director Maggie Daniels on how to stay motivated as an independent artist. Maggie explains how writing her poetry book, Swimming, helped her through a traumatic experience. She's pushed through trauma by making a trailer for a movie script she wrote called Tanglewood based on a true story. Please join us on this heartfelt episode and let's listen to Maggie's journey. Swimming. Somebody told me, find what you die for, and then drown in it. I put pen to paper and just started swimming. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Thanks for having me, Tom. I'm great. It's real cold here, but I'm good. So you're in Colorado? Yes, it is. It's it's like zero degrees outside. It's too cold. My southern blood is frozen. Well, you're from North Carolina, so at least it gets cold there. I mean, I'm from Savannah, Georgia. The cold is different due to the humidity, mm-hmm. but uh, I can't stand cold weather. <laughs> I'd say this every time I talk to somebody and who's... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm know, in my house and I'm fully, fully in winter wardrobe. Like I have a right. hat on and a sweatshirt. <laughs> so right. it is cold and I'm not used to it. But the snow is it is a different cold and um it it's a it's a dry cold, so that it's not as much ice, so it's like a sparkly winter, like it's pretty. So yeah. Now is that what is that behind you? Is that a snowboard? Um snowboard that is a um that is a deck, deck art. One was gifted to me by my friend. And then the other one um, was commissioned by my friend Gabriel. He's a really talented um, artist. So I just have his art all over my house. Nice. Yeah. One of the things that resonated with me is a lot of your poetry and a catalyst for your poetry was the loss of your mother. And I obviously can relate to that. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is were you writing poetry prior to that? Yes, I've um I've always written poetry since I was a little kid. Um I I've never been a good speller. I have I grew up with dyslexia. Um can even tell you how to spell dyslexia. Why do they give us that word? Like it doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like it's just a rub in the burn, you know what I'm saying? Um 
but yes, it's yeah. not it's not a gentle phrase. It, it's it's not. Like, yeah, it's nothing. It, <laughs> it it's not rude. Like it. It's rude. <laughs> like, yes, um, it is. Yeah, yeah. So um, with poetry, my mom always encouraged me. Um, I would run around the house, and I remember um, we would go and get Christmas trees. That was like our family tradition, and I was running around the house just like rhyming about going to get Christmas trees, and my mom wrote it down. And then submitted it to a magazine. That was the first time I was published for a poem. Um, and I've just been writing poetry ever since. So, What were you published in again? Uh, it was a little magazine for like uh, farmers, Christmas tree farmers in the mountains of North Carolina. It was really cute. The farmer we went to see, like uh, she took the poem and published it through there. And it was really sweet. It was like, we're off to get our Christmas trees. Like It's, it's sweet. So yeah, I've been writing poetry my whole life. And um, actually, I hadn't written um, for a couple years. I just kind of ignored it. And I wasn't writing as much. I write every day. And I'd always written every day. But in my early 20s, I just was in this weird insecurity, rough, you know, of like, figuring out like who I really am and everything and uh, kind of delayering the mass that, you know, society puts implicated and uh, kind of blocks creativity. So once I got through that, um, I got back into poetry and then I lost my mom and um, I felt like the only way to get myself out of this like hole I was in emotionally was to express myself through poetry because I remember the week my mom died I wrote the poem um, empty because mm-hmm. the only word I could like wrap my, that like wrapped around the whole situation to me was the word empty. I just felt empty without my mother and um, having, having lo- losing someone so directly impactful in your life is just a shock. Um, it really makes you really think about, oh, what is the difference? With, like, what is death? What is loss? Like, all of those things, like, come rush, rushing at you. And it's just this powerful realization that, like, this whole energy of existence can't not exist anymore. And it just rips you up inside. And I'm a firm believer now that like it, they don't not exist. Like we're all made of scientifically, we're made of energy and that energy goes and keeps moving. We just can't access that visually. Um, but yeah, it really took me to a place I had to just, I had to fill the emptiness up with, with words just to process it. Like the waving a white flag means to surrender. And swimming to me is surrendering to my emotions and processing, sitting with them and processing them. Right. I told my therapist, he said, when we first, so I started seeing a therapist for the first time in a little while after my mother passed away. And he was asking me to give a, an assessment of where I was now in relation to then. And he, and I said, well, when we first met and first started talking, I felt like I was out in the middle of the ocean treading water, like barely with my head up above, just sort of gasping for air. But now through therapy, 
I feel like I can at least see a lighthouse and I'm swimming towards shore. Yeah. Is the best analogy that I could give to him. And during your loss, was poetry your main tool that you were using yeah. to get through the grieving uh, process? I, I really should find a therapist, but I don't have one. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a real lean on uh, that and psychedelics, to be honest. Um, let me tell you what didn't help with my healing, computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Technology, social media and all that, that can sort of drain your soul in a way. Yeah. Getting offline, really, like just being alone time and be trying to be present. Yeah, you almost like can't even control being present at that point. That's that's true. So you lost your mom when exactly? Uh, May nineteenth, twenty nineteen. Her body was found in her beach house, and that was my twenty sixth birthday. And she was sixty two. And no, like I don't know why those numbers just freaked me out. We were the reverse oh, really? ages. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah with the numbers, obviously. Are you into yeah. numerology and astrology and all that or no? Um, I mean, I don't under I don't I don't understand. I have to get a twelve year old on Twitter to like translate it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, it's all it seems interesting. Yeah. Nonetheless. I'm into numbers and that's a prime example where I'll see some sort of correlation with numbers. And so you on your twenty sixth yeah. birthday, your mother passed away. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Do you have any siblings? I have an older brother. Uh, he's four years older. Um, we don't, I don't really associate with him that much. Um, yeah. He, uh, the, the padlock poem I wrote about my childhood growing up. And when your mother passed away, you all weren't talking. No. I thought he was living with my mom, taking care of her. I didn't know she was living alone. Um, and my mom, um, she had a lot of mental health problems, unfortunately. And um, I'm mature enough now to like know like who my mom, the difference between my mother and her mental health, you know what I mean? And yeah. when she was, you know, genuinely being her and when it was her mental health taking over. But she had issues with um, hoarding and uh, taking in stray cats, you know what I mean? And so when we went to, um, we had to all meet up and, uh, go to her house. And I just remember being so devastated with the state that my mom was living in at the end of her life. Um, and I just wasn't aware of it, that it had been gotten so bad. Like we had to, um, wear full suits and masks, uh, to enter the house my mom had been living in. So. It was really hard. I, I can imagine. How, I mean, it's hard. Um, it's honestly impressive how many cats, honestly. Um, <laughs> most of them were kittens. So in my mind, I, I just picture my mom with a bunch of like cracked out kittens all over her house. But it was like 36 cats. And we found like three dead ones. It was it was not good. It was not good. Um, um going to tell my aunt not to listen to this episode. <laughs> but, um, no, my mom's little sister is so wonderful. But it, it was really hard. And the day we cleaned out her house was the same day I was supposed to um, be starting um, my feature film, Tango with Us. That was the sh original shoot date that we were going for, July 19th, 2019. But instead, I was uh, cleaning out my, digging through my mom's um, house 
and it was just it was hard that's how that's why i wrote that um the mummy poem the dirty little bathroom she took her last breath and type she she passed away in the bathroom from like a heart attack or sudden stroke and uh i i stood in that bathroom um and i just uh it just it killed me so I was going to ask you, because I listened to your reading, when you're reading that poem, but definitely resonated with me. And I was going to ask you where that came from. But now you've already answered one of my questions. Yeah. It's uh, something that you can't really explain when, when you see somebody that you love so dearly uh, when their life has left their their body. Yeah. And uh, I I didn't see, I didn't even see her body. I didn't go to the, I never wasn't really invited to, and I'm kind of glad I didn't go but I was never really informed of the like identification process. Um, apparently she had been there for like a while. She was, she had, um, she didn't die on my birthday. They just found her on my birthday. And it's not like in movies, if it's not a crime, they don't understand. Like at least I could put words to how I was feeling. It just felt like I was doing something. I don't know. So tell me about your screenwriting. Tell me about Tanglewood. What's the plot? Oh, Tanglewood. Oh, Tanglewood. So, um, Tanglewood is a personal healing piece uh, about myself and a boy I put too much trust into. Um, it's based off of um, real summers, all compiled into like one storyline from like multiple summers growing up in high school. And um, if you've ever seen the film Kids by Harmony Corinne or Mid 90s by Jonah Hill, it's that very essence yeah. of like skater boy. Um, in like hip hop culture mix, like party boy essence and, um, a lot of forties, um, a lot of, you know, smoking cigarettes, you know, just where the bad kids you grew up with. It's a lot of, uh, just going through the motions of, um, living in a really shitty town and having not so great parents and trying to figure out, um, why you're feeling the way you feel and processing hormones and, um, I got a lot of empathy writing this story because it started off like I was mad at a boy. Um, but the more I wrote, um, the more I realized that, you know, he had a hard life too. And we were all kind of like in a shitty situation and just kind of just reacting how the best we knew uh, at the time. And so I gained a lot of empathy um, for, for people that, um, hurt me. And, um, at, by the end of the project, it was, it was all love. You know what I mean? Um, they probably, they still hate me, but <laughs> I have a lot of empathy for them at this point. Is this another poem that I was going to, Scars, is this poem related to this boy? Scars. There's a smile on his face with a knife to his throat. Brown eyed boy just wanting his mother's love. He would drink every night trying to feel numb. With a hand dealt from the devil he was doomed from the start. He opened up my chest at age 15 and ripped out my heart. You should see the scars. Yes, that um, that poem I wrote in high school. And that was one of the kind of poems that I wish my mom would have read and been like, you want to talk about something? <laughs> like, you are uh, <laughs> in your life. Um but yeah, Scars is pretty much sums up the plot between um, the two main, the protagonists and antagonists of uh, Tanglewood. Mags is uh, the main teenage girl going through the motions and uh, Charlie is the antagonist. And 
Um, he kind of has an abusive home life and not that great um, of an outlook on things and um, already dealing with like substance abuse problems at like high school age. So, um, and there's a class difference, like Mags comes from like a little bit more stable of a background, but they still, they both kind of have like similar home lives of disconnected parents. Um, it just shows you um, that everyone's going through their own individual thing. And even if like reactive things happen, like everyone's human. And that's what I hope to highlight with Tanglewood is that it's truly a healing process. It's a healing piece. It's not like, oh, Taylor Swift revenge or, you know, um, no, nah, it's, it's truly it's healing. And Taylor, no hate on Taylor. She she's healing, too. But um, it's the same thing as like, you know, Dear John by Taylor Swift or Adele album 25 sure. about her hometown. It's, it's totally sure. just healing um, traumatic events. And uh, when I say traumatic, it's it's a it's a wild ride, and I can't wait to share it with everyone. When we filmed the 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 POC trailer, the proof of concept, um, every single crew member, down to like hair and makeup, walked up to me and told me that the imagery um, triggered their first um, sexual experience and how uh, traumatic it ended up being and traumatizing and all these things and. Uh, so I feel like it's going to help a lot of people like process, um, unprocessed things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. When, so where are you in the process of development with this film? Um, everything is ready, ready to go. Um, we're just, um, in the process of raising funds. I just locked in, I just locked in, um, uh, executive producer, uh, Jason Sherman, really awesome award-winning filmmaker, great guy. Um, so we're just in the process of getting up the film, uh, getting up the funding for the film. Um, I am rewriting my script. I have a director script cause I'm planning on directing it, but I'm rewriting it to a spec script, which is just more simplified. Um, you take all the emotion and less description out of it, um, for, to bring in more crew members. So, um, it's like, it's like micro dosing to the big picture. Like, Oh, I can just do 10 or I can do five. It's like working out. You micro dose all the tasks and it all adds up in the end. So yeah. What uh, films has Jason been involved in? Anything um, I've heard of? I can I, find. I think his most recent one was you got ghosted or ghosted something along those okay. lines. Um, he did some documentaries and won some award on some documentaries and stuff, but he's just been, uh, he's just been in the industry um, for a long time, he knows what he's doing and, uh, really cool guy. He backs the story. Um, got a few more crew members. Um, but I really, I really needed the pro producer in because that's just like, that's the business background of moving everything forward. Because let me tell you, doing everything yourself is hard work. That's right. It's, it's hard to juggle if I didn't have help that I have with production and editing and so forth. Yeah. I don't know where I would be. It's just so many moving parts. So I can only imagine what it would be like with a film. It's literally like starting a business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Um, so uh, another poem that I, I came across, Drifter. You want to tell me about that one? Drifter. Who would I be without these foolish delights killing me slowly each heavy night? Haven't slept in days. What's the point of this life? Am I steering this vessel or am I just here to ride?
Drifter is one of my favorite poems. Um, that was during the time that I was visiting really genuine friendships, friends that I had forever, um, just to like heat my soul back up after my mom died. And um, I went and tracked down an old friend of mine who is a character in Tanglewood, my friend Abella. And uh, we were staying at his mom's house in the middle of the country. So it's a lot of stars, real dark. And we were laying in his driveway and we'd been up for like a day or two, you know, just doing bad, you know, adult things. (laughs) And uh, we'd just been hanging out, having a good time. And uh, I was just laying on his driveway. And uh, when I lay down and look up at the earth, it makes me feel like I'm in a snow globe. You know what I mean? (laughs) Everything, all my problems just feel so much more like irrelevant when I feel that small and um, you can kind of see, you know, the the planet moving and the sky, the stars moving. And I was just thinking about, you know, we're just floating on a rock, like just like I'm. Um, am I a passenger? Am I? Am I? Do I have any participation in this, or am I just riding? That was like the thought process I had, just laying on the concrete, and that's how how Drifter came. So are we talking about psychedelics here or what are we talking about? Oh yeah. I, I love mushrooms. I really do. I am very pro pro mushrooms, uh, for sure. I like to microdose um, a lot. So yeah. Do you think that microdosing helps with your anxiety, depression, PTSD? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like it for what people need to understand, and I'm totally going to sound like a drug addict saying this, but some people, um, for psychedelics and, um, certain, um, enhancers, like it gets people to a normal level. Like people who, for example, when I wake up in the morning, I'm very nauseous. Um, I have a lot of anxiety, I have IBS and, um, I don't drink coffee or anything, but I'll do a dab and that gets me to like a normal person waking up for the day. Like it doesn't make me tired or anything. So, um, and it's a plant. I mean, I feel like human beings have been doing those kinds of things, like herbal remedies for centuries and you listen to your body. What, what works for you works for you type thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a theory I've said it before that, uh, they think that's how we evolved and our consciousness was able to expand enough that we were able to communicate. And an, another form other than grunting <laughs> and pointing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and find language and start drawing and artwork in caves, at least, and then the rest yeah. of history. But how often do you microdose? Um, I used to, I, I was doing it more last year, but um, usually monthly. Um, I used to be doing it uh, like daily or weekly. But uh, now every once in a while, I'll just um, do it like once a month um, just because I've been too busy. Um, but, yeah, I would I would highlight I, I, if I could, if I had the resources, uh, I would drink mushroom tea every day, like before bed or getting up in the morning. Have you had any profound learning experiences from a full trip? Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. Um, I learned from a bad trip I had. Honestly, I've never one of the few times I've had like a quote unquote bad trip. Um, I never like, if I, if I dose mushrooms, I won't dose anymore. I just, whatever I ride out, whatever I took. And that night my husband was very um, persistent 
on eating more. And, um, it got me, um, into this like hole within myself and I was in my room by myself. And, um, I was hearing, I, I had my first like auditory, like hallucination. And I thought there was like a monster in the room. And, uh, I did some like self-reflecting and, uh, I was the monster in the room. How did you come to that conclusion that you were the monster in the room? Um, when I, when I wasn't scared, um, and, uh, I just, um, I didn't do psychedelics for a while cause I was like, I need to do some like inner work on that. And I just, I started writing poetry more and I started expressing like my inner, like, uh, Gary V says it best. Like when you've been like emotionally abused or whatever, people plant, like the voices you hear in your head aren't necessarily all from you. And, uh, I had to sort out like what was me and what was something I just heard someone say. And, uh, that helped a lot. And I've, I haven't had a bad trip since. Um, and my other bad trip was, um, not with psychedelic. It was, um, what's that stuff called? Uh, spice. Spice. Wow. Or whatever the fuck it's called. Is it called spice? <laughs> what is the word for it? It's like salvia. 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 Spice is different than salvia. Uh, salvia. Salvia. Holy yeah. fuck. No one needs that. It should not send it to Mars. We don't need it. No one needs it. I saw the movie Get Out. And as soon as you've seen Get Out, right? Yes. yes. As soon as that motherfucker went inside his eyeballs and he was looking out, I was like, he's done salvia. Fucking Jordan has done salvia. Right. Okay. Right. (laughs) That is what happened to me. 16 years old at a house. I don't know anyone. I thought I was smoking (laughs) weed. And someone was like, I've never seen anyone hit salvia that hard before. And I was like, what? (laughs) And that was the same night. I'd never seen the exorcism before and I'm coming in and out of this, like get out trance, right. On this horrible drug. And on this big screen box TV is, um, a teenage girl stabbing herself in the vagina saying, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me with the fucking crucifix in exorcist. Worst day of my life. Like, like, that's one of the most horrifying day, movies I've ever seen in my life. Let alone in those circumstances. In those circumstances, it's pretty intense, to say the least. So I learned to handle my shit at 16 on that couch in Fedville. I think we were in Hope County, outside of Fedville. Yeah, that was... I still don't know whose house that was. I have no idea who those people were. But, uh, but I remember they, that night. Yeah, that's a profound yeah. enough experience that it will never leave your psyche, so to speak. When your mother passed away, did you have a lot of memories that you had forgotten about or suppressed? Did they uh, resurface after she passed away? Um, yes. Um, like I said, I grew up, my mom had a lot of mental health problems. Um, I would self-diagnose her as bipolar. I don't think she was ever necessarily diagnosed bipolar, but I think she was bipolar. Um, she would just go from zero to a hundred real quick. Um and uh, there was just no rhyme or reason to it. And uh, I didn't really understand it until I was older. But um, when, I was, when I was first grieving her, I remember just um, missing her yelling at me. Like I would give anything to hear her just cuss me out. Like it was just too quiet. And um, it's actually, it's the happy memories I have to sit on and like think hard about. I mean, there were plenty of them. I, I had... I had undoubtedly, you know, a great childhood um, in, a, in that aspect. I had a great mother. My mom 
uh, raised as well. She was a single mom. My dad left when I was four and uh, moved in with a family, a town over. And uh, so she did the best she could with um, the, the knowledge at the time. It's it's ironic. The first thing when she's gone, I wanted her to be mad at me. <laughs> like just uh, one of those things. She used to um, say some really mean stuff. Why did you want her to be mad at you? Because it was normal. That would be yeah. That would be that would be uh, that would mean she was here. You know, if, if she was here, she she was yelling at me. Like when she died, she was actually mad at me. She hadn't talked to me in like four four or five years. Um, and my mom hadn't gone like when my mom would get mad, it, she would just like be mad for a day. And then when, after she had a stroke in 2015, her mental health just, just took a toll. Like it just went south and, um, yeah, she wasn't talking to me towards the end. And it, uh, it, uh, it really ate me up inside for a little bit, but, um, I know now that that was, that wasn't anything I could do. That it was her own, um, her own mental health. So you, you didn't speak to her for how long? How many years? Four, five years? 20, yeah, three years. So three three years. years. It feels like a lifetime when you don't talk to your mom. Um, yeah, three years. September 2016 was the one of the last times. The last time I saw my mom in person. She left my house um, in Aurora. We had just purchased our home. And uh, she she got in her head that we couldn't afford um besides home we were renting at the time. Um, and she just mm -hmm. got in her head that we intentionally bought a smaller house so she couldn't live with us, but that wasn't, we just couldn't afford a bigger house. And so oh, no. we bought a town home. And then, so she had to move back to her beach house where she ended up passing. Um, but she just got in her head that I intentionally bought a smaller house and there was no correcting it, it, it was irrational i know it's completely it sounds crazy trying to explain it to someone but um yeah so over that no i understand me. do you have any voicemails that you were able to keep um i have some video i actually have some videos because um for years like my mom just like i thought i was crazy like i was like is this really happening like because she would just be like just so angry and then like an hour later you want to go get milkshake like a whole 360 right. just bipolar is very scary and uh so i have some videos of one of the times i i secretly videotaped her like yelling at me and it's totally just like heartbreaking to watch but um i have i just have sprinkled out videos because we got into like cameras and stuff in the early 2000s, like all the cam, all the phones came out with cameras and stuff. So I have like on some hard drives, some things. And I have this one, uh, short video where she just says my name or something. And I highly recommend anyone with parents do some creepy, creepy recon, recon and, uh, just ask them to send a video of them saying your name and don't tell them why, but keep that shit forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously um is that one i love the most but um I, I i will admit i've i've watched the one where she's really angry just to be like to feel like she was still here um and i know she's not angry yeah. anymore I mean, I you know but yeah it's hard mummy the dirty little bathroom she took her last breaths in still haunts me to this day dearest mother of mine you didn't deserve your life cut short. I miss you more than I can express. 
Vast is the empty void in my chest. And it's only getting worse. Mummy, mum, mom, my mama. I hope when I die, I see you first. Yeah, I, I sometimes find myself replaying voicemails from my mom, sort of going through the grieving process. That's why I asked. Yeah. There's this one um, from when she, uh, one of the last pictures of her, my aunt took, and it's one of those live photos. So if you hold it down, there's a little bit like Harry Potter, like they move a little bit. Um, And it's just, if you hold it down, you can see her smile, like her smiling, like the process of her smiling. And I love, I hold it. I cherish it. I cherish it. So, yeah. You hold that dearly. Yeah. Understandably. Yeah. It's hard. So tell me about your book of poetry, Swimming. Yes, right? Swimming. The, the, the poem Swimming itself, um, find something you die for and then drown in it. Um, that I was very much in that place of like, what does my life mean? Like my mom's debt, like I don't feel like I didn't want to be here. Like why, what am I doing? Like why, why, what am I going to do with whatever time? Like I thought I was going to like, die like any day like uh, the world felt over like and then the pandemic happened and everything and I just was I was just convinced that um my my world was in like the world was in me you know what I mean so um the swimming swimming really um I realized like what what pulls me to like get out of bed and uh creating writing that's what that's what drives my soul and so I really just leaned in, you know, like the, ju- like I jumped in and uh, started treading water intentionally. Yep. So you can relate when I was telling you about treading out in the ocean, uh, struggling to keep my head above water, so to speak. Who were some of your main influences as far poetry? as poetry, literature? Yeah, poetry. Oh, man. I I love, I'm, I'm a total dork for Edgar Allan Poe. Love Edgar Allan Poe. Um, I love Emily Dickinson. Um, Silverstein. I uh, I grew up. I learned how to read reading poetry. Silverstein's uh, "Where a Sidewalk Ends," "The Light On in the Attic," and I think it really uh, programmed my brain creatively to think in in the sense of poetry because we have a very similar style, very to the point, simple, short. And a poet, a poet that's not known for being a poet, um, Marilyn Monroe, really, really great. Poet. Really, what poem? Um, she has a book out um, called um, Fragments, and um, I think her estate found like a trunk or a box full of like old uh, papers with just um, like hotel receipts and hotel pamphlets of her just writing her thoughts down. And one of them is like a, just a one-liner, and I love it. It's, uh, <laughs> You poetry, tell me that helped with your dyslexia. Uh, yes, because my because there are no rules in poetry. You can say whatever, and it can be fun, and it doesn't even have to be the real word. I just I felt free expressing myself um, because I was always scrutinized for getting something incorrect when it came to literature. So when it came to poetry, like no one could touch me, and I like. How did you feel feel like you were under scrutiny? Who was making you feel like that? Oh, I grew up in a small town in the South. (laughs) Boy, I got got 
I got bullied at church for not being able to read the Bible. Bruh, we're in fourth grade and they got fucking old English words. Like, don't fucking come for me on not being able to read the fucking Bible, bruh. But anyways, like a girl was like, what grade are you in? I thought we were the same age. I'm like, that's... Jeredia <laughs> is not a real a word that a fourth grader should know. Like, get out of here. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I used to get picked on a lot for like reading and shit. And I had a tutor... And the tutor was really condescending. I remember going home to my mom and just being like over dramatic about it, being like, uh, like it's killing me. I can't do it. Like, you know, just over dramatic. And I remember um I got the first sense that like adults talk to each other because I went back to my tutor the next day and she was like, Maggie, it's not gonna kill you to do this assignment. Like, I'm not trying to kill you. And I was like, Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like to put it to to put it simply, I remember the day I learned how to spell Halloween. Okay, I remember the room how I was in. I was in fourth okay. grade. Yeah, so that's a little. I think I was in fourth or third, um, whichever year nine eleven happened. It was the same. <laughs> whichever okay. one that was, I was at the same school that year when nine eleven happened. So it was fourth or third. But yeah, I was I was slow to the party for sure. But yeah, I remember the day I spelled, learned how to spell Halloween. Tell me about what you remember exactly. Like the um, it was a very small room. This lady was like from the, you know like the conservative. She had a uh, big old uh, perm, <laughs> right? Grandma yeah. hair, and she had like pointy glasses. I forget her name, but it, her office was just big enough for this like metal desk. So it was like a closet, like a the size of it, like a janitor's closet with a window and a desk. And, um, she tried to make it fun by like drawing a pumpkin on the flashcards and stuff. Um, but I felt, I felt really good. Um, spelling, cause that was a big word for me. That was a big word. I don't like, I don't think there are any silent letters in Halloween, but silent letters are like a death sentence for dyslexia kids. Like, why do you do that? Why just drop the letters? Don't put them in there. Confusing. <laughs> as hell. Yeah. And then when I got older, and I, I don't know, and you see like businesses like spelling words the way they like whatever they like replacing C's with K's. And I'm like, why, <laughs> why did I have to put any effort in if this is what we're doing? Yeah. Like I, I was a very resentful kid on all the tutoring I had to do. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Do you still feel like as far as dyslexia, do you feel like you've overcome it because of your poetry? Not even slightly? Nah, I just leaned, just leaned into, into it. it. I'm just, um, yeah. Like I tell people, if I say go left, it, it's a right, go right. Like, um, but yeah, I've just leaned into it. Um, like my, uh, my poor producer, every time I send him an edit on the script, he's like, oh, so many misspelled words on just one piece of paper. And I'm like, in my brain, I don't even see him. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's bad. Like, uh, when, Mine, um, it was always like affected by my focus. Like, uh, if I, I, my hardest thing to grasp was like keeping my place while reading. If I focused too long, it looked like wet ink on a page. It just bled. I couldn't focus on a word or a line. So that's probably the, the thing I still, um, try to overcome. Like if I do like a live set or anything, or if I'm reading anything live, um, always have my finger or I use highlighters a lot. Like I have really short poems, but every line is a different highlighter. And, um, 
yeah, highlighters save me. Keep in, keep in my place. Keep in my place is probably the hardest thing to deal with with my dyslexia. Yeah, it's tough um, to lose your place. It's frustrating as hell. And then you have to reread it. And then sometimes you're like, I, I already read that. <laughs> I read that three times. Yeah. But I, didn't, I yeah. didn't really absorb it. And uh, yeah, chapter books are my enemy, man. I can't, I can't do them. That's why I do poetry. It's short to the point. Screenplays are short, short to the point. People don't even read them. Like, yeah. I've always loved poetry, the cadence. You've got a great voice when you read it out loud. And Mummy and Drifter, Scars, those were the ones that come to mind off the top of my head that resonated. So back to your film, tell me some filmmakers that have been influences for you. Oh, um, definitely the filmmaker Diane Bell. Um, I took her screenwriting class in 2018 and it kind of clicked for me like, oh, I'm, I know what I'm doing and I, I'm good at it. Like, whoa. Um, and it was a great, it was a great light bulb moment. And she kind of took me under her wing and she has a book called shoot from the heart. And it breaks down. Like if you want to be an independent filmmaker and just want to make your movie, here's how you do it. And I've been following her process step by step and it's gotten me this far. So, um, she's been really great. Um, I absolutely love the filmmaker and writer Harmony Corinne, uh, complete, like I love his work. I just, the, the movie Spring Breakers is a work of art. I love that film. Very uh, uh, visual storyteller. And the way he incorporates sound in telling those visual stories, oh, it's creme de la creme. Uh, in Spring Breakers, you hear the click of the gun in pivotal scenes, and it just it adds this extra layer of storytelling. I love it because I always hear the scene before I see it. So I just love his incorporation of sounds and Beach Bomb, one of my favorite movies of all time now. Like, great movie. Um, Harmony Corinne, number one filmmaker to me. Number one. What did you say the name of the film was? Uh, Beach Bomb by Harmony Corinne is also really good. I love his entire collection. I love, I just, Harmony Corinne is my favorite filmmaker. Okay. I haven't seen it. Oh, with Matthew McConaughey. It's about a poet. It's about a uh, guy that writes poetry. And it's really good. Okay. Why have I not seen that? I feel like I've seen most of McConaughey's films. The hardest thing as a storyteller, uh, it's easy to make people cry. It's easy to make people laugh, but it's hard to make people feel whole and like hopeful at the end of something and feel just wholesome and good. Beach Bomb, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. The film Beach Bomb by Harmony Corinne is a feeling that leaves you feeling good at the end. So... You can't beat that. Yeah, you really can't. When you watch a film or even when I hear a piece of new music or something that I haven't, a song I haven't heard, and you feel that visceral like sense of feeling at peace or at whole, yeah. you cannot beat that. Yeah. I don't care what genre or medium of art it's, it it's is. It's the hardest thing. Everyone's chasing um, that uh, serotonin. Everyone's, everyone wants some serotonin. It's like the hardest thing. And dopamine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the hardest thing as a storyteller to get that out there. It's really easy to make someone cry. So Beach Bump by Harmony Corinne. Check that out. Awesome. Um, I will have to check it out. I can't believe I haven't seen it. Music. Has that influenced you at all? Your poetry, your cadence? Yeah, definitely. I'm friends with a lot of musicians. I love music. Music's always been a big part of my life. Um, I, I write a little bit of music because um, poetry, li lyric, lyricism, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so um, in Tanglewood, the big thing, all my guy friends and stuff used to um, 
get drunk and uh, freestyle because it was like Lil Wayne was coming up, uh, new, no ceilings had dropped and everything. So murder on the beat, East Coast. Everybody had to like get get drunk and uh, <laughs> sound stupid uh, on on some uh, rap beats. But yeah, that was like our go-to thing. And so, yeah, I've always expressed myself through all those outlets. My mom was really big into music. She um, played piano and the guitar and she also worked um, with a lot of different bands. She toured with the Eagles when she was like 19, 20 as like a tech tech person, like a roadie crew. Uh, like she did the lights and tuned the guitars and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, rock and roll. So, yeah, I, I love all types of music. Uh, uh, like I said, I know a lot of musicians. The um, musicians on my Tanglewood team, Corey Campbell and Jenna Desmond, they're so talented, uh, such amazing people. And they actually played um, Max and Charlie in the trailer. Those weren't actors. Those were just musicians. Um, and they wrote the song in the trailer um, on set like that day. Like crazy talented. Um, so, yeah, if you can't get an actor, uh, find yourself a musician because like the empathy, like best people in the world, are, I think, because they just they they can feel that they can they feel like the rhythm of like the energy in the world, you know, and react to it. Yeah. Music's been one of my saviors as far as through the grieving process, music and film, quite frankly, great escapes during the grieving process. I love to like poetry. I love to look in between the lines, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I just love to decipher and try to figure out exactly what those lyrics mean, even if it's warp, a warped sense of, yeah. uh, yes, yeah. how they relate to my own life. That's why I don't tell any, I, I hate telling people like what my breaking down, what my poems mean. I'm like, oh, whatever, whatever you think they are, that's it. That's it. Um, because sometimes I will ruin it for you. Cause sometimes it's not that like great of an inspiration. Like one time my dog was on the floor, like rolling around, he was being cute and he, he had two toys and I wrote a poem. I was like, you're a two toy boy and I'm no good at sharing. And it turned into like a breakup poem and it's about my dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. So do you still have that dog? Yeah. Um, Mufasa, he's downstairs. Um, I got him when I was in high school. Um, great dog. My dad gave him to me. Um, my dad, uh, at, used to like, uh, have puppies, like sell puppies, um, for like farmers and like he had a, he had a, a thing of border collies and he had all of them were going to like sheep farms and stuff. And he was like, you can have one. And my mom was like, we're going to take two. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we took two, but yeah. When do you think Tanglewood will come out? Um, Tanglewood. All right. So we got to film it. We got to get the funds. got to film it. It'll probably be um, minimal, like a couple of years, because it can take um, anywhere from six months to a year just to edit the footage. So it'll only take us 17 days to shoot it. So once we have the full budget, it'll only take 17 days out in Augusta, Georgia to get it done. Um, it goes very quickly once you're funded, obviously. Um but um, I'm fully back on focusing on it um, for for two years. I kind of put on pause for grieving and everything, but I'm back at it. I've got really key focus driven um, crew members and we're making it happen. So uh, time will tell. Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later it comes out. <laughs> so will the filming location be in Augusta? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Georgia is the is the hub now for film, like so many, so many movies. Yep, there's been a lot of film, 
lot of movies that were filmed in Savannah, Atlanta, all over the state. It's a beautiful and state. And people don't even realize it's beautiful. It. Yeah. That's what I miss about the East Coast. I miss the trees, the green. Colorado's called Colorful Colorado, but it's really just a lot of different browns. Like it's, it's not pretty. I don't I'm over it. Um <laughs> like, I miss the greens. Do you miss the South? Yeah, that's another thing with grief. Um I didn't have any I don't have the memories out here with my mom. You know what I mean? Um I just felt craving that sense of familiarity and um memory sparked like the imagery of North Carolina. I just find it more aesthetically pleasing now that my mom has passed because it just makes me feel closer to her. And um yeah. So I, I the goal is to definitely we're gonna probably move back in the next couple of years, sell our house when the market drops a little bit to buy because it's even too expensive to buy in North Carolina. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. What's going on in the real estate market? Um, swimming, where can my listeners find that? Swimming is available on Barnes & Noble and also um, on my website, maggielogic.com. And Swimming Audiobook is available on all music streaming services. So Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, YouTube, all of the above. And it's got music. Do too. you have on your YouTube channel? Is it just audio or do you have some video? It's just the audio it, and it's just the whatever was released through TuneCore. Um, I don't actually have a YouTube channel at this time. I do have a TikTok. Everything's Maggie Logic or um, on Twitter, it's Mags Logic with a Z. Um, yeah, Maggie Logic is something my mom used to say to describe my dyslexia. Uh, if I if I said something that didn't make sense, she'd just be like, "Oh, that's just Maggie Logic. Don't worry about it." <laughs> I was going to ask you where Magic Ma- Maggie Logic came from, so that that was how she would tag uh, your logic of thinking, so to speak. Yes, yes, yes. Or or to avoid embarrassment in public, like, "Oh, that's just don't worry about it." <laughs> Kids say the damn yeah, right. Things. How often are you writing poetry? Oh, every day. Um, every day I, I have, I have new poems. I have to, I have two books. I'm ordering the pages right now they're, they're basically done. They're each over a hundred pages. Um, and then some, and I'm still like ordering pages. So I write, I write every day and sometimes several times a day. And I actually, I was in a, a zoom group over quarantine with like, a, another artist. And, uh, he asked that same question, like, Hey, how often, like, if you're a writer, how often do you write? Cause like, he he dated a girl that was a writer, so he was curious on like what other writers uh, how often they wrote, and it made me realize in that conversation that I wrote a lot. Like even for a writer, I wrote like average quite a, quite a bit, and that's what um, encouraged me to put this book fully together and publish it because I had all these poems piled up, and I was like, oh, I should just what am I doing? I have a book, throw it together, and I got it done in twenty twenty one. Just throw it together. Um, yeah, all because that light bulb moment. On, oh, I do write a lot. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've always wanted to do a poetry book since I was a kid. It's just, um, uh, I just didn't do it. And then I did, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you'll do the same format? Will you? Yeah, I have a, I have a whole um, game plan. Um, swimming. Uh, swimming's the first one. My second book is more um, romance, like, love poem based more relationship-esque themed um and then my third book is going to be more like um swimming where it's like all over the board on emotional poems like some some romance some inner dialogue 
um, some grief poem, more poems about my mom. Um, but yeah, the second book is going to be more themed and more focused around relationships, but yeah, I'm really excited about them. Got them all set, um, ready to go. Just got to finish them and get them out. Formatting's the hardest part of my life. I feel like I, the computer parts are what's the stressful. Yes. If I do a little bit at a time, it doesn't seem like too big of a task. Yeah. It's easier to, uh, you don't get overwhelmed as much. Well, yeah. do you think you'll read it out loud? Because I love listening to the poems. You've got great. Yeah, you want me <laughs> yeah, to read a poem? Read, a poem. Read, read a poem that resonates um, of your own, that resonates the most for you currently. To bright side. Because I'm feeling more positive these days. Bright side. Sometimes I lie to myself and say you really mean it. I sabotage my own health from the name of being honest. I daydream away the things that make me afraid. Some nights I even dig my own grave. But oddly enough, when I've run out of luck, I'm always the one still looking up. And that just, I always get myself back to the bright side. I I let myself feel the things I need to feel so I can let them go. When did you write that? Um, last, last year. Last year. Would you say that's yeah. one of your most upbeat poems? Um, yeah, I'd say it is one of is one more of my upbeat ones. Um, it's about halfway through the book on a turning point of um we've gotten this far together. Um don't call nine one one on me. Uh, I'm all right, but we're gonna get darker and uh we're gonna get more honest. So just bear with me. But I always end up back on the bright side and I feel like that's a key point of expressing yourself and people like to hold on that you're saying negative things or that say you're living in the past or is it's just processing. That's all it is. And if you can, if you can put it on paper and leave it there, more power to you. Well, I can't wait to see when Tanglewood comes to fruition and you get it launched. I can't thank you enough, Maggie. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, so great meeting you, dude. Thanks for uh, checking out my book. And yeah, I'll, I, I love your podcast. I'm going to keep listening. Thank you. So yeah. Thank you. And I hope that as you go through this journey, each and every day gets a little easier with the loss of your mom. Same to you. Maggie talks about the therapeutic process of writing Tanglewood. You can see the trailer for the script on her website, maggielogic.com, and also purchase a copy of her book, Swimming. Throughout this episode, you heard excerpts from Maggie's book as read by her and available in its entirety to stream on Spotify. The collection sums up the theme, but only scratches the surface of her book. Please continue to support independent artists and musicians, including Maggie Daniels and me. As always, I'm forever grateful to my listeners and ask for your continued support by following me on your chosen streaming service. And if you are interested in being part of the Neurons to Nirvana community, Please follow me on Instagram at Neurons to Nirvana Podcast or Twitter at End to End Podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, this is Neurons to Nirvana. Neurons to Nirvana.